When should you increase your sponsorship rates? My friend Arvid Call recently had a big dilemma. Risk rocking the boat with a long-term sponsor or keep the good vibes rolling at the same price? His fears? What if the brand thinks he's greedy and cancels the partnership? What if it causes them to take a second look at his deal and they realize it's actually not performing that well? Does he really even deserve more money? In this public sponsorship coaching call, I helped Arvid solve his dilemma. Before we get started with this episode, I'm curious, are you looking to land more brand partnerships? Because I have a free weekly report that's gonna get you paid. The Creator Wizard newsletter will help you find which brands and companies are sponsoring creators, pitch more effectively, get paid more money on each partnership, and immediately get better looking and tell funnier jokes, probably. Join 30,000 creators and sign up at creatorwizard.com slash join. That's creatorwizard.com slash join. 45% of your revenue pie is sponsorships. And my ears perked up as a sponsorship coach. I'm like, oh, I need to talk to Armin. I've always been a little bit afraid of making changes to an existing relationship. I have something going on. I have a long-term established trust-based relationship. I don't want to rock the boat. Should I do this or should I stay safe? Should I keep the prices that I had for the last year or so and just keep keep sailing and make like a, a couple thousand bucks a month where it could be a couple double? This idea that it's confrontational or that you need to put a suit of armor on when you go into the K-Octagon to like battle these sponsors is just fundamentally untrue. Where a lot of people get into this mindset is they feel as though, you know, somehow they're fleecing or pulling one over on a sponsor. Gotcha, like, oh, like I'm taking their money. There's no way they're going to get this many sales based on this money that they're paying me. And if those are the deals that you're doing, that's bad. You had said that you made $5,500 a month from sponsors. That number should be 20, 25K in my opinion. I think you're right. Obviously, you've seen me smile and nod the whole time. <laughs> well, this was a, it seems like a pretty transformative session then. My goodness. Well, I expected nothing less. But yeah. Well, I'm Arvid. I'm a writer, I guess. A software engineer, founder, all kinds of things. I used to just code for a living and then I turned that into a business and then I sold that business. And ever since then, I've been more active in the, the media business, media world. I'm building like a little media empire. I have a podcast, a newsletter, a blog, a YouTube channel, and a couple more things that I'm probably forgetting right now. And I'm just trying to help founders, help entrepreneurs, help themselves, trying to teach them what I know, what other people know, and just make it possible for them to get to the point where they can, like I am right now, determine whatever they want to do in whatever fashion on whatever day and not be bound by an external kind of pressure. That's kind of what it is. Find your own thing. That's that's what I'm doing. Would you say that all of this has been surprising to you, especially after you, you released the book? Because you, you kind of are, I would say, you're kind of a mini celebrity in the, in the kind of tech, engineering, coding space especially amongst bootstrapping founders, entrepreneurs, etc. And so this fact that you kind of grew this business, I, you know, I don't, a lot of people think of like influencers like, oh, we're dancing on TikTok or we're like lifestyle Instagrammers or whatever. But like here you are kind of talking about pretty niche topics. And I don't think a lot of folks, uh, you know, would think of that as like a influencer or a creator, but you are, right? And so I'm, I'm kind of curious how you reconcile that in your brain. It's always been problematic because I, like you just explained, had this image of somebody in Dubai peddling whatever kind of jewelry as an influencer. 
influencer, right? That was what I thought influencing was. And I still struggle to call myself that, even though I know that when I share something, when I talk about something, I have some sort of impact on other people's choices, preferences, the knowledge that they have, the knowledge that they're interested in, that kind of stuff. So it's been a surprise. It's been mostly a surprise because I never expected to be a writer in the first place. Put aside the whole Twitter following thing that I have for some reason accumulated, probably around being just a normal person, not being the Dubai kind of influencer, but being somebody who just sits in their basement, builds a little studio, records things that they think about, codes a little bit, writes a little bit, just does things that other people would also like to do. But realistically, you know, like that's the difference. No Lamborghini here. We drive a really, really boring car. <laughs> but that that is There's still time. There's still time. Don't and worry. The thing is, I, I don't I don't need that car. I, I'm looking at the, the Cybertruck just out of notoriety, but I'm not going to get one because we don't need it. And I think a lot of people relate to this. And that is not surprising. The fact that I can relate with people just like myself on the same journey. Well, that's obviously true. That's how we build a following. And the fact that I just share what I'm doing and that allows other people to to connect and to build a relationship. That makes sense. Once you've understood that this is how it works, it makes perfect sense. But the success that I've seen has been very surprising because after we sold the business, that was kind of the credential, the only credential that I had other than having worked in computer science or in, in coding for a long while. But from that credential, a lot of people gave me the benefit of the doubt with the book, with the podcast, with all the other things and sponsors followed suit, right? They were like, oh, okay, I, you seem to be legit. <laughs> and from there came relationships. So the surprising part was how much in terms of how much work I needed to put in it took and how little it took in terms of just this one thing to get to that point. Speaking of sponsors, you shared a really interesting graphic on Twitter um, recently, and it was a revenue breakdown by category. Uh, a, a lot of people think of you obviously as an author because that's kind of where how you came up. But 45% of your revenue pie is sponsorships. And I, my my ears perked up as a sponsorship coach. I'm like, oh, I need to talk to Arvid. Cause like, you know, I think it's just very, whenever I sit a lot of creators down and, and, and say, do you actually realize how much you can make on sponsorships? Because I think a lot of people look, oh, it's just like icing on the cake. And I was like, no, like here, look at look at Arvid's, you know, revenue breakdown. Like, did, was that surprising to you? Like that, that, that sponsorships would be yeah. intentional. Yeah, to, it was, tell it, me more. It was intentional because I thought, ah, oh, the, all these other things, they take so much work. But okay, let me rephrase this. Obviously, everything takes work. Like any kind of monetization has some kind of effort that you need to put into it. But what I thought about was always, what's the long game, right? The long game with a book, with an info product is you write it, you put a lot of effort into it. Then you have this massive sales event where you launch it. And then over time, it kind of peters out and you still have some income. I still do from the book that you mentioned. And the other things that I've written, I still sell some number of copies every single day. That's just how info products work. And I do some marketing just by being present and sharing with people that have written these books. That is often enough because I have a kind of an aura of trust around me just from my presence in the field. And I think that is what I wanted to build from the beginning so that it would be easy to find sponsor relationships that last for a while. Because that's the idea. The idea is I want to sponsor not like every week a new sponsor and not really knowing what they have to offer, but I want long-term relationships in all things in life, right? particularly in, in the business world, because those are the most kind of self-reinforcing things that you could possibly have in this field. And with sponsors, it was the same idea. I want to have such a strong presence in my community that people feel attracted to me so that people who want to sell them things feel attracted to me as well. And this kind of brand, personal brand, personal platform that I've built. So it was very intentional to build the, the foundation on which sponsorship could then happen. It took me two years or so until I had my first sponsor with all the content that I've been producing. And ever since then, 
then I've been very actively trying to build these long-term sponsorship relationships, which in the end mean that a significant portion of my revenue comes from these things because people trust me and are willing to pay a certain amount to reach the people who trust me as well. One thing I love about you, Arvid, is that you get it, okay? Because a lot of people um, almost look at sponsorships as like a means to an end and something that they're hoping to wean their themselves off in their business over time. Because it's like, I want to own all the ad space in my newsletter or on my podcast. I want to pro my, my own products or my own books or whatever. And so it's very fascinating to me that you actually have made a conscious effort to um, actually double down on sponsorships. And so to, to that point, I want, I'm curious if you can share a bit more about kind of these long-term uh, your relationships that you're trying to build. Do you believe that there's money you're leaving on the table? Obviously you have a whole host of things that people can um, sponsor, right? You've, you've got the podcast, you've got your Twitter, you've got your newsletter, et cetera. So like, how do you think about spot your sponsorship strategy generally? Leaving money on the table. I'm certain I'm leaving money on the table. <laughs> Probably because I'm pricing them way too low to begin with and we can get into this because I don't think I've changed uh, my prices for sponsorships in a year or so. And obviously everything has grown in, in between the time. But to me, and that's the thing that, that why I'm so interested in talking to you to have somebody who has experience in this field. I've always been a little bit afraid in, in my strategy of making changes to an existing relationship, right? There's this whole thing about never change a running team uh, or, or a working team. What's the phrase? And never change a running right. system. That's the IT version of that. So the I, I have something going on. I have a long-term established trust-based relationship, but I don't want to rock the boat, right? I don't want to say, hey, next year we have now doubled the amount of listeners to the podcast. And that's the situation that I'm in with my main sponsor, Acquire.com, right? Uh, I've, I've reached out to Andrew Gastecki, who is the, the founder of Acquire very early. Andrew Gastecki was the person that caused me to write the book that you were referencing. Wow. Like he, I started writing, I had this blog and I had all these blog posts and people told me, hey, there's something there. It feels like it should be connected, but you're writing all these disjointed things. Can you connect it? So I did. I, I kind of made a guide out of it, put that online for free as well, 20 something thousand words. And Andrew was like, hey, if you ever turn this into a book, I'll buy it. And I was like, hmm, sure. And then I wrote the book, right? That's how, <laughs> how, that's how that happened. So our relationship between Andrew and me and his, his business started long before they reached out to me, right? For the specific uh, sponsorship that was happening. We were internet pals for a while and built that trust just between the two of us for then the businesses to also cooperate. So that's how that's long term for me, right? It's kind of this relationship based trust based thing. And that's the reason why I'm super hesitant to email Andrew, which I hope that uh, at the point where this comes out, I've already I'm done. Just send it to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, he probably understands this from a, from a founder perspective. I'm quite fearful of the fact that what if I price it too high and it's not interesting to them anymore? Will we break up over this, right? Is this where this relationship ends, which I know it's just a business relationship and where they currently are, somebody else could also be, which is an argument for increasing my prices, right? Because other people are willing to pay it. Well, so you probably should too. So it's, it's a whole, there's a lot of self-doubt happening in this for me. And I'm often very honest with these things because every founder feels crushed by self-doubt, by imposter syndrome, other mental health challenges all the time. And here I am talking to you about it because we, we can help other people, right? But I, I feel like, should I do this or should I stay safe? Should I keep the prices that I had for the last year or so and just keep keep sailing and make like a, a couple thousand bucks a month where it could be a couple double thousand bucks a month?
I want to take a second to thank today's sponsor, Uscreen. Now, I work with a lot of different types of creators, but I've got to say, YouTubers and video first creators in particular always seem to have the hardest time monetizing. It's usually AdSense and, and maybe sponsorships for the most part, right? But when I ask why they haven't considered a membership, most either stare back blankly or say, you know, they've just never considered it. Now, I believe that especially long form video creators have a unique advantage to serve their audience on a deeper level through a membership because viewers sticking around for 10 to 15 minutes are a lot different than those that swipe away after 30 seconds, right? And you guessed it, video memberships are exactly what Uscreen specializes in. In fact, Uscreen has helped creators make more than $150 million by providing the tools, infrastructure, and education to design a membership that your audience will thank you for. You know, I talk a lot about how important it is to involve your audience in these types of big business decisions, to so not just create a membership in a vacuum without asking what types of features they want or what type of content, whether they want a built-in community. And once you have that, the good news is that Uscreen can do it all, including live streaming to chat rooms, even branded apps for creators. You might be familiar with Yoga with Adrian. You know, she has an app called Find What Feels Good that was built by Uscreen, by the way. And her value proposition is basically, here's my entire video catalog, no ads and exclusive content. And you don't have to be a gigantic creator to build a lucrative membership either. You know, there's tons of niche creators that have built a super meaningful income with their memberships as well. Now, I know I piqued your interest, but maybe you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I'm a little overwhelmed and I don't know where to start. Well, that's why Uscreen created a free educational resource called Membership Plus that teaches you how to build a successful membership from start to finish. I've even got some exclusive videos that I've done with creators like John Yushai on there. Okay, the most important reason that you should check out Uscreen is that they're just awesome people. You know, I've had multiple chances to hang out with folks on their team like Rob and Sray uh, at a couple recent conferences and they just could not be nicer and more dedicated to serving the creator community. So if you're a video first creator interested in learning more about how to build a profitable membership that will get you off the social media hamster wheel and finally create stable, predictable income for yourself, well, click the link below and tell them that Justin from Creator Wizard sent you. All right, let's get back to it. Yeah. So so let's let's dig into this because you've you've opened up we could go a lot of different directions here uh the the emotional psychological you know toll that a lot of this stuff takes let's be let's be frank going back to your 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 nascent beginning like you did not get into this thinking you were going to have to be a cold hard negotiator <laughs> like like you know yeah. we're like working with partners and like being strategic and like yes. all this stuff so these are uh, skills that I think a lot of not just you but a lot of creators out there uh, are kind of learning on the fly they're kind of building the plane as they're uh, or they're, what is it, building the plane as they're flying it, so to speak, right? And so I think we go back to first principles here, which is like, okay, let's evaluate what both parties are getting out of this relationship. Sounds like this extends much beyond just a transactional newsletter sponsorship or something. There's a relationship there. There is a value of acquire.com being associated with Arvid, right? Like that there's value there, right? And so the first thing that I would do would be to go back to email Andrew or you know someone on his marketing team and say, hey, how's, how's it going? <laughs> 
how's this relationship going? It's going awesome from my end. Here's my perspective of, uh, you know, all the various uh, things that we've been able to do together over the last 12 to 18 months. I think it's been going great. What about you? This takes a lot of humility to ask this question because I think going back to your self-doubt question, most creators do not do this after they've been with a sponsor for a long time because they're afraid of the answer. They're afraid that they're going to say, actually, we went back and crunched the numbers since, numbers since you reminded us to and it actually we're going to end the relationship because because we realized uh, that we were losing money on this deal. And so to your point, it's like, oh, should I rock the boat? Should I not do this thing? And so what I tell creators a lot is that you're only there's only going to be two outcomes of that. The likelihood of them pulling the deal is extremely low. They're either going to say it's going great, like awesome. Here's all the, you know, objectives that we've been able to achieve based on partnering with you over the last two years or whatever. Or they're going to say, you know, it's going OK, but it could go better. And so that's your you know entrance to be introspective and say, OK, let me let me sit and think. Why, why is this only going average? What could changes or optimizations could I make to the way in which this partnership is structured such that I could become their standout partner and, and continue to be the top of the pack? And and that's that's an exercise that's hard for a lot of people. And so, like, if I were to kind of throw this back to you, that's probably what I would do. I would email Andrew and say, in fact, the, the more comprehensive take on this would be what I say. You create a partnership recap report where you go back and you look at all of the ads, essentially, or in insertions that have run over the last two years, a year, whatever, how long of the partnership, you look at both the quantitative performance, you look at the qualitative feedback, you know, you go and you look at your Twitter advanced search and see people talking about Acquire because they were in your podcast or your newsletter, or whatever, you know, screenshot a bunch of those kind of positive brand association stuff. And you put this in this recap report, because again, they're not just likely, they're not just partnering with you. They're partnering with lots of people. And so it may take this recap report that you deliver to them on a silver platter for them to be like, oh, wow, we didn't, we forgot, or we didn't realize actually how impactful this relationship is. And then you use that as the preface to the renegotiation essentially. And so on one hand, I want to say that I'll pause there because I have some other things I want to say, but like, how does that, how does that sit with you? That idea? It's super interesting. Thank you. Like the, the first of, uh, thank you for unlocking uh, what my fear is, like making me understand like what I'm actually afraid of, which is them saying, eh, right. That's what I don't want. But obviously if that happens, it is still better than not knowing. And them also not thinking about it. So I think that's super helpful. And uh, I was just thinking about this yesterday. I, I'm building a new software business on the side, right? As a side project right now, Podline, which is like a little voice messaging tool for podcasts, which is a lot of fun to build. And people have been sending me messages on, on there just to test it and to, to give me some, some motivation, some feedback. And one of the messages was, hey, I really love your show. I actually acquired a business recently, probably through your link. Like he literally said that on that voice message. If I ever need proof that the sponsorship works, I just have a voice message that says so, right? So I have these things. Why not make this report and actually share it with the people that it's for? That's really cool. I mean, I know Andrew because I follow him on Twitter and like, you know, he was Russ Hanneman, that the character that he uses, <laughs> yes. the guy from, uh, from uh, you know, from uh, Silicon, Silicon Valley. Valley. Yeah. Um, like he loves this type of stuff. So can yeah. you imagine if you're sharing that with him, he's probably um, going to share that publicly, right? right? Because it's like a, it's a, it's a cool thing to, to, to share as a result of a, of a potential partnership. And so brands, in my experience, are desperate to grasp on to even anecdotal signals that a partnership is going well. So even if the clicks on the link or the signups, you know, people using your promo code or whatever aren't through the roof, if they can point to things like this in their all hands marketing and meeting where it'd be like, look at this cool feedback we got from a partnership that we're doing, that can oftentimes be a, a major reason that brands and companies continue partnership with certain partners. And so I absolutely think that you should do that. I think that that's a fantastic idea. Thanks. Yeah, I will. I mean, obviously yeah. the data is there and <laughs> yeah. I, I have like, like thousands, hundreds of thousands of views on all the things that that Acquire is in. Like those numbers,
numbers can be pulled together. And I did that, I think, in the, in the first couple of months, and then it kind of stopped because I was oh, so much work. <laughs> but right, it, right. It, it was it was a, a helpful thing just for me to show them, hey, this is actually happening. There are massive numbers of views, and people get to see your little logo and me talking about it all the time. Right? It was a, a nice reinforcer. Let me hold up a mirror to you because when you were writing the book or writing all all of these you know posts about you know being a bootstrap founder and all this stuff too, I'm sure that you can confirm this that like the fact that you were sitting down on a regular basis analyzing your business from like every different direction and all the different aspects mental health and business building and marketing and all this stuff too there were new insights that were generated because you were doing this thing and so the same insight can be applied to analyzing your sponsorships because if you're every even if the brand is not asking you for these recap reports yeah i know you mentioned you did it in the beginning the very fact of putting these reports together will make you realize like oh wow actually this month's you know, spots didn't do as well as last ones. Why is that? Let me actually, for my own volition, let me, for my own edification, what can I improve? Because I'm looking at the data because what, right? It's like, what's that saying? It's like what, what uh, gets measured, gets met, what matters get measured. I don't know what that what saying is, but it's like, you're going to, it's only natural to like, when you're analyzing the data to decide like, oh, I actually should make some changes based on my strategy, based on what I'm, I'm uh, evaluating or analyzing. So I think that's, that's a value in doing it. The, the other thing I will say too, Arvid, about um, these long-term relationships and not wanting to rock the boat, there is value in keeping something rolling. I 100% acknowledge that, right? And so maybe there is some number or some balance where it's like, it just feels better to kind of keep the relationship rolling. Yeah, you may not want to rock the boat. And there may be some sponsors who are paying you half of what some of these other newer sponsors are. But because of the relationship that you've built, you believe and you value that so much that you just decide that you don't want to rock the boat. And I want to give you permission to do that because it's like, just because you may be leaving money on the table doesn't mean you necessarily need to, you know, renegotiate or whatever. Because like, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is that your sponsorship strategy is like, should be like a diversified stock portfolio. Not every stock that you hold is going to be a winner. You're going to get dividends and returns on, there's going to be probably a handful of where you get outsized returns. And there's going to be a lot that just kind of keep the lights on. You get your dividends and it's fine. There's nothing to call home about, but it's meaningful, right? And so if you can look at, instead of like you have a place on your website where it's like, go here, click and buy this ad inventory for you know my newsletter or podcast, you don't look at it that way. You say, every deal I do is going to be priced differently based on the brand's objectives. You know, some, a lot of brands are going to be, you know, pay, compensating me different amounts. And that that's an uncomfortable uh, discussion for, for a lot of creators. How does that hit you? Yeah, that's, that is uncomfortable because I, I I don't have much experience as somebody who's like selling themselves, <laughs> even though I've been doing this in a different way all the time, but putting value to somebody else's offer that is you know, maybe different from their own perception of it, that's problematic. Like just even the pricing is always a problem for anybody, right? Any founder, yeah. any creator, pr setting prices is hard. Then negotiating this by being like fierce enough to push it a little but not you know like ignorant enough to push it too far that that feels hard for for me in a situation where i don't have much experience doing this I, it may be an excuse that i'm telling myself here but that's why i like these long-term things because i don't need to constantly think about this like I, this kind of activity this kind of act of doing sales negotiations is horribly taxing on me it feels very stressful like i could talk why? about whatever why? let's let's it, dig into that why does it feel stressful it is confrontational i'm not a confrontational mm. person or at least i perceive 
perceive it to be confrontational. Yeah, why is it con- why do you believe it's confrontational? Because uh, my own entrepreneurial experience dictates that I will always try to get the lowest price in anything that I will do. And my my entrepreneurial experience also dictates that when I want something, I want the highest maximum value of it. And those two clash. So I feel even I think it's an internalized uh, conflict that I have that might not even be real. But it's like their interest probably is this and my interest is that they are not aligned. How can I do this so that there's some alignment and we don't leave this thing frustrated? That That is just all internal monologue at this point. You have data that suggests that that's not true, though. Yeah, you have <laughs> you have you have a lot of data. You have a long term sponsor with Acquire and, and other people that you've worked with who are thrilled, it sounds like. And there's this there's this analogy, this story around a coffee shop. OK, so you've got the coffee shop there. What is their product? It's coffee, right? You've got the everyday consumer who does not have coffee and they want coffee, right? What what do they have? They have money. What does the coffee shop not have? Money. They have coffee. The person has money, right? So the person walks into the store and they say, I want coffee. Here is money. The coffee shop says, great. I want money. Here's coffee. And so they exchange this thing. Both parties are happy. They walk away completely satisfied. And so I would throw it back to you that there are lots of sponsors out there who need you. They need your, they, they look at you as the conduit to be able to access a pool of prospective customers or to you know get more brand awareness about their product or their service or whatever it is. This idea that it's confrontational or that the idea that it needs to, you need to put a, a, a suit of armor on when you go into the Kate octagon to like battle these sponsors is just fundamentally untrue. It is a race. It is a relay race where the sponsor wants to hand the baton to you and you take it to the finish line and help them accomplish their objectives. You're on the same team. You're not on different teams. And so the negotiation is is frankly what you need to hash out before the starting gun of you taking it to the finish line. And so if you can start to think of negotiations and partnerships in this way, it feels great. It feels additive it, to, your, to your overall experience as an entrepreneur. You feel empowered um, because you know that you're really truly helping them. I think that where a lot of people get into this mindset is they feel as though, you know, somehow they're fleecing or pulling one over on a sponsor. Like, oh, like I'm taking their money. There's no way they're going to get this many sales based on this money that they're paying me. Uh, You know, this type of idea. And if those are the deals that you're doing, that's bad. That you should not be doing those deals. You should only ever enter into partnerships where you know and you feel in your soul that you can help them accomplish their objective. Which, by the way, it's not just about trial signups on software programs. Like, you are a figurehead in the entrepreneurial community. And so for a lot of brands or SaaS companies or whoever, to be able to say that they're partnered with Arvid is hugely valuable. What is that worth? How do you price that? It's not just a commoditized $200 click here by this you know, ad insertion for January 7th. Like it's a, it's, it extends beyond that and you are not capturing that value. And that's a problem. That is the problem. And I think you're totally on the right track. I'm aware of the, the value of affiliation. 100%. That's kind of the whole the brand building idea is all around this. The, the, the other problem is it is so intangible because Acquire is, is doing this for, for brand awareness, right? Like the, I do have a link and people click it, but what is probably much more valuable to them than people clicking the link right now is people clicking the link when they're ready. And that can be in the future. That can be months or years in the future. But if they have it in their mind that once they built their business and once it is at this level, they're going to sell it on Acquire. Doesn't matter when I tell them if it's now or last year or next year, 
there. When they're ready, they're going to do it. That's the value that they buy. And that is hard to quantify because it's not traceable, right? Not traceable to the month that it was done in. It's only traceable over a long period of time. That is messing me up because I know of this value. I just know that it's that it's uh, hard to track, hard to measure. And for that reason, I feel I don't have enough arguments to push it further. There's a couple things you can do. Number one, I want you to put together a case study. I want you to put together similar. You might be able to harvest some of the data that you pull from the recap report that you're going to create for acquire.com, right? Um, and you are going to, obviously you don't need to share anything proprietary in this case study. It could just be high level public data about the, you know, awareness, the views, the podcast downloads, et cetera, et cetera, um, impressions and so on. Hopefully you'll email Andrew, get a testimonial of what it's been like partnering with you. I'm sure he'd be happy to do that. And once you start collecting a lot of this data, it's going to start taking shape in your mind that this is something that you can feel comfortable talking about and promising. Obviously, you're not making guarantees to future sponsors of like, I guarantee that I'm going to get you to do this. But like, no, for another brand where you have an interaction with them and you ask them, hey, what would a win like look like for you to be able to partner with with me and my business? And they say brand awareness. That's when you send them this case study for brand. Why over here where you have a conversation with them and you say, what would success look like? And they say conversions, you're going to be giving them a completely different case study. Arvin. You're not going to be giving them the acquire case study because that's not their objective. And so I think this is the biggest missing piece, which is that when you allow a sponsor to just go here, click on Gumroad or whatever you know, payment processor you're using to book a thing, the only way that you're able to value yourself is in a vacuum. You're saying, here is how I, how much I believe I'm worth. And <clears throat> what I talk about a lot is that you're missing the other 50% of the equation, which is what is the brand's objectives? Because I bet you, if you got on a phone call with the brand, a prospective sponsor, and you asked them this very simple question about success metrics, and they told you, hey, Arvid, like, Actually, the, the the reason that we're most excited to partner with you is because we want you to uh, we want to take the content that you generate for us and we want to run ads with it. If they told you that, well, then why the heck are you are they sponsoring your newsletter or your podcast? What you should be pitching them instead is, hey, let me make you five 30 second videos in my nice crispy studio that you can use and run as ads. It's going to be 20 grand. Yeah, but I've never that's, thought about that. But but you told me. <laughs> Yeah. That's your objective. Yeah, that's right. When you're removing this interaction, this conversation, this discovery call around what their objectives are, you're going to completely miss that and, and, and not be able to pitch that. And so I think when you're, you're what right now you are completely divorcing and detaching the brand's objectives from the value that you can really deliver. And I think that could be a very transformative thing to introduce into your strategy. Oh, that's really great. I appreciate that. And it also immediately uh, triggers another fear mechanism, which is talking to people that I've never talked to before, which is... Uh, you know, like regular kind of introvert problem problem that I have here, but also aware of the fact that I will need to do more outreach, which is something that I've been holding myself back from in the past. So that that is something I need help with too. Like finding the the right people to uh, to talk to. I guess cold cold email or cold conversation, whatever you want to call it. I have a lot of connections already. I just don't yeah. know who to talk to about this specific. <laughs> Arvid, thing. this is easy, dude. You're overcomplicating it. Just talk about it on your list. Talk about yeah. it on your podcast. Right, your guess. sponsors are in your audience. Yeah, that's true. Your yeah, sponsors are been, in your audience. They, yeah. they have been <laughs> often often have just come from there. And uh, yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hmm. the, the other thing too, let me say this, is that the for the brand that you've built, you don't have to have that many of these conversations uh, because, you know, I, I believe in my core that there is definitely five to 10 or however many you want of these sponsors, long-term sponsors who are willing to do a 12-month, 18-month type deal with you, guaranteed, dude. Like no, without, without any question, this is not gonna be the type of thing we're gonna have to have hundreds of conversations, 50 conversations even. Look at this as a moment in time. 
time where it's like, okay, for the next, for the first quarter of 2024, whatever, this is going to be the year where I put myself out there. I'm going to have some of these phone conversations with people I may not know. But again, you've, you've, you already have proven your expertise and your, your worth given the audience that you've built. Because again, I, I'm sure these people are, are already in your audience, right? For other creators, it's different. You know, for people who don't have the proven track record that you do, yeah, they do have to do the dog and pony show and, and be more performative. But like, you, I don't think you have to do that at all. I think you just be yourself, your portfolio, your work, your platform speaks for itself. And I think you're overcomplicating this. I think it's just a matter of like understanding this tremendous va- platform that you've built and, uh, and, and really truly finally leveraging it properly. Yeah, thank you. I think you're right. Like, obviously you've seen me smile or not the whole time. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the like one-off sponsorships that just happened because people were reading the thing or listening to the show in the past before I had these long-term sponsors, they came from there. So that could be something to actively search for long-term opportunities in that crowd. Because I know that a lot of SaaS founders who have a budget and who want to serve other founders or other entrepreneurs are in my audience for that reason, because they want to learn from me about the needs and wants of that community. Huh. Yeah. One, one thing sense. one thing um, that you probably didn't know about me and one thing I think I why I relate to you so well is that I'm also a computer engineer by background. I went to UCLA. That computer science is, is my background. And so that was the early part of my career. And so I, I did transition into kind of marketing and all that stuff too. But I bring a very objective mindset, an engineer's mindset to this approach where I constantly remind myself that this is just business. If I can remove the emotion, it, it is a process. It's a system. If I can create a system where it's just something that I follow, and this is my sponsorship wheel that I talk about, which is in essence a sales pipeline, right? You can appreciate this as a, as a founder. Working with sponsors, you have to create a system where it's tra- it's traceable. You are consistently doing these kind of outreach. You're nurturing these brands as you move them through this relationship. And if you can look at it as like, rather than this kind of like touchy-feely sales, like, I don't know if I'm good at it. I'm an inter- introvert. No, look at it as an in- engineer. This is just a, you know, I have this problem and I need to de- devise a solution for it to, you know, ensure that I can keep this thing humming along. And so I think if you can kind of compartmentalize that and realize like this is similar to a coding challenge, in my opinion, that it, it can absolutely be systematized, processized in a way that feels good and not icky and not salesy. It feels whole with your your integrity and your personality. I don't know. I just wanted to leave you with that anecdote because this is how I've found to kind of make this uh, make this stuff work in our in our business. I appreciate this, and I think it's 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 turning something that was kind of nebulous and like salesy. And I don't want to use this because it's such a derogatory term for such a relevant part of business, right? Without sales, where would we be? But the nebulousness of not knowing what's going to happen is something that every, I mean, every engineer hates this too, right? Like you you don't want to be in a situation where you don't know uh, what's the outcome of this. Like you want to either have it to be true or false or fail or break but you you only have these four options right and i I feel what you've been sharing with me allows me to get more in that state like i'm gonna create a report the report is gonna help them understand better and then they're gonna respond to me either with one of these three options and then from there we go right this is starting to help me understand this more as a structured process than this nebulous everything could happen the world could explode situation because that's anything external that you don't understand, you often over, you know, you, you, you turn it into something weird because you don't know what it is. And the moment you understand its foundational structure, and that's what you've been helping me with, it becomes much less of a threat. Well, you know, there's this on the subject of 
the sliminess, the salesiness, because it's kind of a taboo thing to discuss. I have this principle that I call audience first offers. When a creator is first trying to sit and think, who would be the best sponsors for me? They oftentimes think about the products that they already love and use or the services or the brands or whatever. And like, that's who they reach out to. I've been using acquire.com for three years. Like it'd be a great partnership, whatever, right? But that's actually not the right exercise because it's not about you. It's about your audience. The first step that you need to do is understand much deeper about the psychological characteristics of your audience, not just the demographics. You need to understand what's keeping them up at night. I'm sure you have a lot of this data, right? What's keeping them up at night? What are their problems? What what types of jobs do they have? Are they solo founders? Are they, you know, are they in small teams? Do they have kids? Are they married? You know, how are they interacting with your content? Are they watching it in line at, you know, Starbucks for, you know, two minutes? Or are they sitting down every Sunday and consuming the last three episodes of your podcast that they missed. You know, what brands and products and services are they using and loving right now, et cetera. And so now when you realize and you go audience first, you think, wow, there's a big segment of my audience who is actually enterprise, or maybe there's a big portion of my audience who are in health tech, or I don't know, some random cohort where you never realize that. And if you think, okay, actually it's what my job is, is to help my audience achieve some sort of outcome. Now it's like, wow, I should probably go out and reach out to this kind of niche solution over here that I never really realized and tell them, hey, guess what? I have 25% of the respondents of this survey who are having this problem. Maybe it's bookkeeping software, (laughs) right? Like solo founders, they don't know what they're doing. They have an S corp or an LLC or whatever, wherever they're located in the world. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know about paying tax estimates. They don't know any this stuff. Wow, I didn't realize that that was a challenge for my audience, but that may not have been an obvious sponsor or product to think of to go to pitch. And so now when you realize instead of going to the sponsor and being like, I love your brand, let's collaborate. It's like, no, I want to help my audience here. And so it's such a more compelling pitch and you feel so much better about that because it's not about you. And of course you're going to win, right? The brand's going to win now, obviously, but your audience is going to win. And so I I think that this is like a really great mental exercise to go through and, and an actual exercise, sending this survey. This psychographic survey where it's like, hey, I just want to learn more about you. And by the way, you can put that question around like finding potential sponsors in that survey yeah. as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that, that thank you. Like that little addition made, made that survey ever the more interesting too. I, have, I was talking to, a lot to, to Brendan Dunn about personal personalization, right? And newsletters and stuff. And I was was just talking to to Amanda Natividad last week of SparkToro about audience insight and stuff on the podcast as well. So I'm I'm already connected to the right people telling me the right things. It's just really, <laughs> and, and you as well just now, you, and you're you're unlocking all of this potential. I'm really grateful for this. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, I need to, to pull these things together and actually ask my audience about their biggest thing and tell them that I have something for them and combine this into something that I can talk to other people about. Yeah. Thank you for putting so much on my plate. Yeah. <laughs> right here now. In, in That's my job. That's my job. Well, you know, one, one thing I will say, and I really appreciate your vulnerability here, is that it's it's surprisingly often the mental stuff that holds us back from really, yeah, from, from really, it's like what's going on between our two ears often prevents us from having the confidence to, to do a lot of this stuff. And what I appreciate for you is like, I know a lot of people really look up to you as someone who is kind of like, quote unquote, succeeded and kind of achieved the, the finish line. You had the, you know, the exit, you had all, you have this big media platform now and all this stuff too, but you're going through the same stuff that everyone is regardless of where you're at. Right. And so like that, I hope everyone watching or listening 
can appreciate and respects that this is something that everyone goes through regardless of where you're at on your creator journey. Yeah, there, there are no champagne problems. I mean, they are technically champagne problems, but they're always, even champagne problems are problems. That's something that I that immediately learned when we sold the business. Like we we, we had millions and stuff and it was great, but we, we, we still were people living in an apartment having to deal with our neighbors. And we still had to deal, now we had to deal with like money and, and how to keep it secure and how to turn it into something meaningful over time. Like they are different problems, but they're still problems. And I appreciate that you allow me to, to to see this as a problem because I have a working relationship with a sponsor, right? I have lots. Of, I'm using the ConvertKit sponsor network. That's something other that we can talk about too for my newsletter, which has regular leads come in. I think uh, what was SurveyMonkey was a sponsor a, a while ago for the for the the. the the newsletter, which was interesting. I never, never thought about, obviously, yeah, I'm talking to founders. They need surveys as well. So it's, it's starting to, to, to come together in my mind that even though I already have a lot and I'm really grateful for that, there are still things that I really need to address to turn this into something bigger, to, to take that next step. Thank you for allowing me to feel that being a valid problem at this point. Let me give you just some, a directional, uh, guess which is that if I look at your revenue pie, you had said that you made, you know, on average $5,500 a month from sponsors. I mean, that number should be 20, 25K in my opinion, <laughs> like a, mo a month. I, Easy, I would dude. like that. Yeah. And, and to based on the platform that you have. Easy, dude. Uh, honestly, this this might be some some regression therapy here, but I think my ceiling for what I'm allowed to earn in a month is that's something in my mind. I have, this might be the German speaking because Germany is, is a is a country with pretty similar monthly incomes. Even if mm. you start or if you if you are a senior, that's not that much difference because we have a strong social safety net and, and a lot of taxes go into that. So the the stuff you take home, the net is 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 very different, right? For for everybody, um, or it's not very different for everybody. It's very similar. So my software engineering experience was around like five six k a month. That's the top I ever earned as an employee. So when I reached this now that I have a completely no ceiling business, it's like, ah, I should probably not go for more. Isn't that bizarre? Isn't that a bizarre Fascinating. <laughs> well, it's, I think that this is like a really interesting entrepreneurial, everyone, I think a lot of people who, have, who has had a traditional corporate job at one point has this limiting belief, I think to some degree, because also it's reinforced by your social circle, your friends, your family. The fact that you could make 10, 100 times more than the people that you know that are, you know, are around you just seems ludicrous. It seems insane. And so for some reason, somehow it's like it's wrong or like I shouldn't be doing this or like it's weird or icky or it's like against the rules or something. And you're right. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be mentally unpacked, I think, there with you because in, in my opinion the amount of money that you actually make and derive from what you built is a direct response of, of you serving people and it's a byproduct a direct byproduct of that and so whether it's like you know the, the absolute dollar that you're making is kind of irrelevant in my opinion it's more a commentary on the value that you're delivering whether it's the sponsors whether it's your audience whatever and so i do think maybe there's some journaling some additional you know things you need to, to think about there because that's not an easy thing to unpack for sure um, but it's super fascinating. It sounds like it needs some therapy, like some yeah. actual good. And, and there's nothing wrong with that either, right? Like this yeah. is something that, that might be a, a strongly held a personal value belief from a, a system that I used to live in that I'm not in anymore. So it's, it's you know, like the, the, the mind drags these things behind behind you, behind your actual current location, and I, I can get rid of this thinking. But it does feel, in, in many ways, it does feel like an insult to the, the social circle, family and stuff that is not having such success, right? And on some level, that is part of it. And 
Um, yeah, I, I need to overcome a couple things, but I also have a lot of tangible first steps to take uh, thanks to our conversation right now. So, you know, what would you, what would you say are some of your main takeaways from the conversation? Well, first off, that I that I can reach out to people about uh, the ongoing relationship that we have and show them the value that is being delivered, asking them what they need, what they might want, what they might see in the future, and also bringing my expectations to the table. Then uh, taking this into a more recurring activity, like making sure that I understand what the data actually is. Like I have all the data, I have the, the use cases or the, the the instances of people actually responding to this the sponsor's uh, links or the, the offers that they have, and just presenting that to myself to see the value of it. The, the, the what was it, the use case, the scenario thing that um, I can and then give other sponsors that might be interested in it activating my list that's a big thing too like the people who are already following me because they trust me and my personal brand that i've created they are the perfect candidates because they understand who they themselves are who their customers are that they are surrounded by their customers in my list and that it would be a good way to build an established relationship and that i have to work a lot of myself well this was a it seems like a pretty transformative session then my goodness <laughs> well, i i expected nothing less but yeah it's it's been you're a great guy um, i just want to maybe take a second to thank you for for this obviously is, is spectacular but that the fact that you're doing this in public for others with others with people that have issues and are willing to talk about them and even sharing whatever you know outside of these conversations or that you gained the insights you gained from these conversations the work you do in public is extremely appreciated both by, i guess by me and by the thousands of people that follow you and you do it in such a kind way you're a good guy thank you yeah. <laughs> i appreciate that dude man this is just a love fest i love yeah. it yeah. um uh, i can't wait to see all the uh, all the amazing things you're going to do from here forward man i appreciate you i appreciate you thank you hey you're uh, you're still here that's pretty cool i appreciate that i got a really small ask could you take a quick second to rate creator debates on spotify or apple podcasts a friend of a friend told me that positive ratings are the number one way to help get your podcast in front of new listeners so if you found value in this episode or any content that i've ever published on the interwebs a single solitary tear would roll down my smiling cheek the moment that you submit your rating. Kidding, not kidding. Thanks again.